Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the Insomnia Project. Sit back, relax, and listen as we have a conversation about the mundane. One thing we can promise you is that our conversation will be hopefully less than fascinating. I know some people find certain topics more fascinating than others, as I received an Instagram post about one particular episode that someone found very interesting. We hope you will just feel free to drift off. Thank you for listening, and we also hope you will listen and sleep. I'm your host, Marco Timpano. I wanted to mention our Patreon page. A lot of people were asking, what exactly is a Patreon page? So I figured I'd let you know. Patreon is a platform that provides creators like us who make this podcast the ability to provide extra content for our subscribers or listeners or patrons. And our patrons can donate anything from a dollar a month to as high as you want to go. And for $2 a month, you get the package, which is called the Sweet Dreamer, which gives you exclusive Daniel Barker content. And the reason I mention this is because my guest today is my father-in-law, Daniel Barker. This will be a 26-minute version of the episode we're recording, but... If you go to our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash The Insomnia Project, you can hear this episode in its entirety. I want to welcome my father-in-law, Daniel Barker, to the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you. So, I wanted to do this episode about the area of Massachusetts where you grew up, where you were born. And I'm going to call this episode Boston and the South Shore. So what I'd like to do is mention some of the towns and places and areas that I've heard being married to your daughter mm-hmm. when she talks about that whole South Shore area and get your impressions of what that area is like or what it was like when you were growing up there. So let's start with Hanover. Okay. Tell me about Hanover. Well, I, I will, uh, just so that your listeners understand I grew up in the 50s and early 60s. So uh, one of the towns that my family moved to when I was 12 was Hanover. And Hanover was a uh, small town, approximately 5,000 people. And it was named after King George, the House of Hanover. So it gives you an idea of the uh, time span here. 
Prior to that, it was known as situate or self-situate. But there is a situate, right? There is still a situate. That's correct. Right on the water. And yeah. so what would what would be something you would find in situate? Would you find a fisherman there or is it more of a... Well, uh, you have lobster fishermen going out of um, situate. But for the most part, it's pleasure boats. Oh, I see. And, you, and you'd find uh, different marinas there. It's also uh, significantly uh, historic. The uh, famous story of Situate was when a British man of war during the Revolutionary War uh, came in just outside the harbor, and the locals found out about this, and they, a half a dozen of them got together. They got a drum um, I think they had uh, some firearms, etc., and uh, the sand dunes separated the uh, ship from the actual harbor. Therefore, they started beating the drums and sounding out commands, and sounded like they had an entire army behind those dunes. Uh, the British didn't stick around; they took off. They didn't want a, oh, a conflict. So there you go. So that's some historic. Information about Situate. Situate. Now, yeah. you said that mm -hmm. you moved to Hanover. Where were you prior to Hanover? Like, where were you born? Well, I, I was born in Weymouth, Massachusetts. That Weymouth, Massachusetts always is a bit of a bone of contention between me and Amanda, my wife, your daughter. Yes. Because her passport says she was born in South Weymouth. That's she correct. Said, she says, no, it's just Weymouth. And so it's also, I say, well, your passport says South Weymouth. It doesn't say Weymouth. Well, in South Weymouth is, uh, it is part of Weymouth, but that's where the hospital is located. Um, our little local hospital, South Shore Hospital, uh, was there. I was born there also. Oh. Uh, so it's been there for some time. And um, Becca and Garrett, were they born there? I got to stop to think, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So, so you were saying, sorry, you were saying yep. the difference between South Weymouth and Weymouth, the hospital is in South Weymouth. That's right. But Bostonians or people from Massachusetts wouldn't refer, would only refer to it as Weymouth, if I understand correctly. They wouldn't say, they wouldn't distinguish it with South Weymouth or. Uh, no, they most probably would. And the reason is not just the hospital, but a, uh, in, in my childhood, a very large naval air base was located there. In South Weymouth. In South Weymouth. I see. And so you were born in Weymouth, but where did yeah. you grow up before you moved to Hanover? Uh, before Hanover, uh, we lived in at what was actually public housing for the first couple of years of my life in Weymouth, oh. which, which was uh, very close to uh, where my father worked at the shipyard in Quincy. Okay, so Quincy is another area. I have like a list of different I know, and I'm, throwing, <laughs> and I'm throwing no, these out at you. It's great. And, and I haven't answered your question yet, but I want to give you the background. We'll get back to it. Since you've mentioned Quincy, I want to highlight this particular area mm -hmm. of the South Shore. Mm -hmm. And that's because, as I understand it, having been married to a Massachusetts family now, that the proper pronunciation of Quincy is Quincy and not Quincy, even though it is spelt Quincy. And that's how you can tell if someone is from the Boston area and how they pronounce Quincy. And in right. fact, we were at, we went to go see that that uh, movie called Manchester by the Sea. Yes. That got a lot of attention and whatnot. Hmm. 
and we all laughed in the theater. It was just us. We were in Florida watching it when they pronounced it Quincy instead of Quincy. I don't know if you remember that. But anyways, let's get back to Quincy. Oh, back to Quincy. Sure. Okay, sure. Well, Quincy um, is just uh, located south of Boston and literally right across the Neponset River from South Boston. Um, and Quincy is a, a city and uh, noted for a few things, of course, named after uh, the Adams family. John Adams uh, lived there back when it was known, I believe, as Braintree. And Which Braintree was, if I'm not mistaken, at one point the last stop on the T in Boston. Is that right? That's right. Back in the 70s when I was uh, getting my master's degree, I would take it every, uh, at least every weekend uh, for classes inside uh, Boston uh, at Suffolk University. And it was great because I could get on at Braintree and I get right off uh, right there at Suffolk. So, And this is not to be mistaken with Qu- the Quincy Market. No. Which is in Boston proper. That's right. Right. Is it named after the town of Quincy? Well, that's a fair question. Um, everything is named eventually sure. back <laughs> to John Quincy Adams. Right. Uh, the son of John Adams. Um, and both uh, father and son were presidents. Right. And from the, the Boston area. From the Boston area. Now, let's go back. We're just going to keep going sure. back to sure. where you were born. So yep. you were born in South Weymouth, but you lived in before Hanover. A town called Rockland. Okay. Rockland, uh, the community I really grew up uh, in until age 12, was a post-war development. It was a farmer's field, and it was quite a large one, called Wyman Fields, which is still there. And these were all three-bedroom, one-bath, small ranch houses. And... I look back very fondly because everybody was in the same boat. We just got through with the Korean War, just got through with World War II. And a lot of the guys coming back, I mean, housing was at a premium and you wanted your own place. And um, so this development just grew uh, wildly. And the thing is, everybody was the same, i.e., I had so many friends my age, you know, that we always had uh, baseball games and basketball games and and just a lot of good fun times. So born in South Weymouth, living in Rockland, you Mm -hmm. moved to Hanover. Right. Now, I'm going to take a little detour here to talk about where's the place where you would go buy a turkey? Because this is the thing that made me laugh when we were in Massachusetts okay. as a family. Okay. There's a specific place. There is. There was a. Uh, there were turkey farms around that area. In fact, my first job at age 12 was plucking turkeys. I got 25 cents a tom and 15 cents a hen turkey. Wow. So that's what um, what I did <laughs> after school. Was it harder to pluck a tom or a male turkey over the hen? Um. Not necessarily, because you had to get all the little pin feathers, and if you uh, really look, uh, they have a, uh, the end of the feathers are very hard, and you got to get all of those out. I see. Um, the hens, of course, were a little small. The toms were larger to oh, get to. Oh, I see. To. Okay, so that's why. And so you were a yeah. turkey plucker? I was. 
But I wasn't at the place you uh, want me to mention. <laughs> well, no, where were you at? And then we'll mention the place. Well, this was a, a private uh, farm right in the middle of Rockland. And, of course, um, the busy time was just before the U.S. Thanksgiving and Christmas. Sure. And uh, uh, they sold mostly not uh, over-the-counter retail, but they'd sell to the different uh, 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 food stores that were there. We would have some small ones. Uh, One was called Tedeschi's, and that was like back in my time, three stores in three different towns, you know, things like that. Sure. Um, the other place where we would buy our turkeys, though, was a place called Bongi's. Yes. And that's the place that I want. Because I remember when we were there, all I heard was, we have to go to Bongi's, we have to go to Bongi's. And I was like, what, oh, what do we have to do at Bongi's? I didn't quite understand yep. what it was. Yep. And it was to buy a turkey. Yes, Bongi's was located uh, down in, uh, I believe, Pembroke, uh, okay. south of us. And they sold retail over the counter. Right. And it was a family business. And as they developed, you know, all of a sudden uh, the family was making pies. Sure. Their own stuffing. Um, all Everything you would need for a good Thanksgiving dinner, shall we say. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, a lot of people just found it much more convenient to go down there and load up. Sure. So if you're in Massachusetts and you need a turkey, head to Pembroke, to Bongi's, and you can get the turkey, the stuffing, and the pie. Yes. Not that they sponsor our show, but I just figured we would make Give sure. Give them a plug. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, and, and we, now we're talking about Pembroke. What else is in Pembroke? I, I, if I remember, it was very pastoral or there, it seemed like there was a lot of still farm areas there. There was, especially okay. when I was growing up. There was a lot of uh, farmland available. Um, the uh, tide of people coming out of the Boston area to the South Shore hadn't gone that far yet. I see. And then, therefore, when they built a high school, you had five towns down there. And I can't think of all of them. But sure. uh, Pembroke, Plimpton. Um, Kingston? Kingston was one, yeah. Would Duxbury be another? No. No, no Duxbury was its own elite <laughs> school. Oh, I see. Is, why is Duxbury a, a desirable neighborhood? Is that? It is. Okay. And it was. It's a small town. Its claim to fame really was back in the uh, clipper ship days where the ships would go over to China and bring the goods in. Sure. And it was uh, quite a little hub for uh, trade uh, coming into the uh, U.S. Um, small harbor right above Plymouth. Right above Plymouth. We'll get to Plymouth in a moment, mm-hmm. too. But since you do, did mention ship, yes, didn't you work as a shipbuilder at one point? Um, well, not really. You always uh, talk about that boat. My, the... my family, my brothers, my father, um, Relatives that go back generations okay. were all shipbuilders. I see. And uh, my father, uh, during World War II, became the head of the machine shop at, at a place called Bethlehem Steel, later bought out by General Dynamics, quite a large ship, shipbuilder in Quincy. And um, he... Uh, you know, he's kind of a big shot in the oh. shipyard. 
Was Quincy known as a shipbuilding town? It was. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You had uh, a couple of shipbuilders in that area. You certainly had one in Boston, a very mm-hmm. large one. Quincy uh, was a little smaller, and uh, during the war, they built a lot of uh, uh, military and navy ships. Sure. Uh, the last thing they got into were liquefied natural gas ships. Oh, wow. Which were giants. I bet. You know, and their their docks couldn't hold them, so literally a third of the stern of those ships would stick out over the river oh, wow. as they built them. And it was great to get in a boat and go underneath and look up at these <laughs> things. <laughs> well, sure, natural gas is so difficult and, and dangerous to store, so you really have to have a ship that's large enough to store it and transport it. And that you, you and, and I would imagine that would call for a large ship. Hmm. You often mention when we see those, is it the Bostonian, those little where, like there's these ships that you always, or these boats that you always point out, and you say, oh, that's a. Uh, oh, a Boston whaler. Oh, Boston whaler, that's it. That, I did work there. I thought so, okay. Yes. So tell uh, me, where, a boat builder. where is that, and, and what yeah. exactly is a Boston whaler? Well, uh, okay. When I got out of the Army, uh, it was during a recession. It was very difficult to find work. And Boston Whaler was a local boat builder for pleasure boats. In Quincy? No, it was in Rockland, Mass., okay. right on the Rockland-Norwell line. And to give you some idea, literally right down the street from where I lived okay. in Hanover. So it was like a mile and a half or so. I see. And... Um, I got a job there, worked there for a couple of years, and Boston Whaler was founded by uh, two gentlemen. Um, one was was named Fisher, and uh, Lord forgive me, I forgot the other gentleman's name. That's fine. But it was a partnership, and they literally built a couple of these boats by Fisher's design, took them to a trade show. And their claim to fame was they cut one of their boats in half to show everybody it was unsinkable. Uh, the, and they used what was called foam construction, um, which is two layers and basically foam shot into the, the boat uh, to give its buoyancy. And they cut it in half in such a way that one of the gentlemen put oars on the, on the bow and it floated, and he rolled around a little pond in back of the trade show. And in the stern, they put a small motor, and he circled his partner in this little pond, showing everybody. It was quite a demonstration. And from there, they and from there they uh, they they grew, and it was almost like an overnight success at at some point. But. Uh, I joined them back in 1971, just as the year turned. And we made uh, only, really only three types of boats at that time, 13-footer, 16-footer. Uh, and then they introduced, they introduced uh, uh, a 19-footer later on. Oh, wow. And what did you do? Like, what did you, what was your job I was there? I was the receiver, quote-unquote. Okay. And the receiver had to take all the goods and document, get them in, et cetera. Um, what you have to understand, this was a typical New England factory in that there were seven buildings on site. 
So I was always running around to offload a truck somewhere. Right. And is Boston Wheeler still still around today? They are. They moved. Uh, what happened uh, during my time is a union got voted in. And a company bought them out. And I should know their name, which I don't. It's all right. But they were uh, already in boat building business. And they moved the facility down to Florida. Oh, yeah, where you are now. Right. So it seems like the Boston Whaler is just following you around wherever you go. Yeah, it seems that way. I mean, I, I've owned a few in my time, and they are good boats. We call them skimmers or waves, wave splashes because um, they don't cut through waves. They kind of skim off the top because of their flat hull design. Almost like when you, when you throw one of those flat rocks yeah. across the water, yeah. right? Cohasset. You mentioned Cohasset. Tell me about Cohasset. Uh, Cohasset, located just above, just north of uh, Situate, was a town that really, its heyday was in the Victorian age. Uh A lot of people would have uh, had their cottages down there that lived in Boston. So on weekends and summer vacations, they would go down and enjoy the, the, uh, the harbor and the and the coastline, the beaches, etc. cetera. Uh, it's another upscale community now because some of those Victorian cottages were oh, quite large. And beautifully built, I and bet. And beautifully built, yes. So now they they command a respectable price, I guess. Yeah, you're not going to get it at a cottage price. <laughs> I think Norwell, you kind of yes. briefly mentioned Norwell. Yeah. Norwell was another town that was spawned out of uh, Situate. Oh, yeah, because you said that it was right on the border. The Boston Wheeler was right on the border of Norwell. That's right. And, uh, That's right. In fact, the corner of Norwell and Rockland in a town called Hingham is known as Accord. And Accord is the, was when the pilgrims and the Puritans d- divided up their, their colonies and they had a border. And they started on the ocean, working inland. And their first stop after the first day was Accord. I see. And they named it Accord. And it's, it's really nothing uh, more than a uh, area where a couple of roads come together oh, nowadays. Wow. But there was a little pond there. Okay. And of course, known as Accord Park. And uh, and that's where these towns come together, if you will. You know the sure. border. Um, so three towns are coming together. Mm-hmm. In this area. Yeah. Wow. So, now we've mentioned your general places in your general area right. of, of, you know, um, Hanover and Weymouth and Rockland, where you were, where you were born and grew up. What would be the reason you would have gone to Boston? If you were living in Hanover or in Rockland when you were a kid, why would you go into Boston? Well... Everything was moving out of the suburbs, so there was little reason. We didn't shop there. We didn't um, go there for uh, any reason but maybe for entertainment purposes. I mean, you'd go in as kids, as a 12-, 13-year-old kid, a group of us would go in on opening day for the Red Sox. Oh, of course. Now, back in those days, the Red Sox were lucky to be in seventh place at the end of the season. They (laughs) They weren't a real powerhouse. Um, but we knew all the players, and and for two dollars you get a good seat in the grandstand, and for fifty cents 
you could go in the bleachers. Okay. So it was something that even we could afford, you know, and a hot dog. I always remember a hot dog being like 25 cents to 50 cents. It wasn't much at all. So that was our lunch, you know, would have a little change there that we could do that. Sure. The other games that we would try to take in were the Yankees. Because we're from Boston. We hated the Yankees. Of course. And uh, those those were a little difficult times because a lot of Yankee fans <laughs> would come up to it. And they were rather um, belligerent. I'll sure. tell you, once we were there, had these good seats down the first baseline. And above us, <laughs> we had these, uh, we're only 12 or 13, we're just kids. And we had, we had these guys, uh, you know, toughies out of New York, and they were slowly dripping beer on us. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and the difficult part is we skipped school. Right. So how do you go home to your mother and you're smelling like a beer? beer. She know that you were up to something in, in the big city. Well, I do want to say this. I want to thank you for this um, in-depth look at the South Shore and Boston. We're going to continue our conversation uh, but this will be the episode that we air on our podcast. If you want to hear the remaining part of this tour from Boston to the South Shore, please go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash The Insomnia Project, and you can hear more content. In fact, if you become a Sweet Dreamer sponsor, you can hear the rest of this um, conversation that I'm having with my father-in-law, Daniel Barker. Daniel, I want to thank you. Um, any quick tip if someone's visiting Boston, place you would recommend for them to go see? Well, um, my recommendation would be to take in the historic part. There's something called the Freedom Trail that you can actually walk. And you go from Paul Revere's house to the famous uh, churches, to the common, etc. Quincy Market, yeah. Quincy Market, etc. Uh, but definitely it's a historic city. The lovely thing about the Freedom Trail is that it's free. You're just following a little That's trail, right. which is marked with red bricks that yeah. brings you to all those historic places. And people often ask me, where do you eat? And my re- my only recommendation is the oldest restaurant in Boston. It's called the Union Oyster House. Now, if you're over five foot three, you might have to bend over to get in and get under the beams. But it... It's a very historic old little building, and uh, I'll tell you, best fish and chips I've ever had in the world. There you go. Great clam chowder. Indeed, perhaps the best in the world. Thank you so much, Daniel, for being with us for this particular episode. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. This episode was recorded in Toronto, Canada, and it was produced by Drumcast Productions. I want to thank you all for listening, and I encourage you to visit our Patreon page.